The following podcast contains spoilers about the final fates of a couple of characters in the Harry Potter and Firefly Serenity universes. Be warned. The 9th of July, 2009. That was the day when Yanto Jones shuffled off this mortal coil in Torchwood Children of Earth. And more than a few people reacted to it strongly. They are what scholar and fan and writer Rosaline Maltese calls the enchanted believers, people who knew and didn't care, felt the loss of a character as though they had lost someone real in their lives. I talk with her about a paper that she wrote, links in the show notes, exploring this very concept. If you felt like you were kicked in the gut when Yanto Jones died, or if you were completely baffled by the hullabaloo over it, and wondering why people would react so strongly? This extended time dilation edition of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast is for you. And as I said, I'm here with Rosaline Maltese, a difficult name to pronounce, but I'm doing my best. Rosaline, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> Great, and you actually did fine, so thank you. All right. You wrote a piece uh, you delivered at an academic conference that has just been published to the internet, and we'll have the links in the show notes, about Ianto Jones. Let's go back a couple of years, because there are actually a couple of people listening to this podcast who haven't seen Torchwood to Children of Earth yet, but have probably heard about some of the uh, drama surrounding it. Let's and, give... and if they haven't, they should probably drop out for fear of spoilers right about now. Right, but uh, basically, let's recap for people who may not have been tuned in to the fandom about what exactly happened when Children of Earth aired on day four. Um, well, on day four, uh, Yanto dies quite spectacularly in, in Jack's arms. And, you know, Jack doesn't say I love you back. And the fandom freaks out um, because it, the thing that was unique about Children of Earth is that it was broadcast Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So it was very, very intense. It was happening all at once. The American fans were watching it pretty much instantaneously as we do. And there had been spoilers that morning because Amazon had shipped the DVD too early. So we had had three days of very intense, this is great, what's going to happen? And then Thursday came. And then, as is has been said before, the internet happened to explode. Yeah. And now, the piece that you wrote is, what was the title of that again? Uh, it has quite a long title. It is called A Tangible Reality of Absence, and it's about fan communities and mourning behavior. Fan communities and mourning behavior. And that is actually something that did happen. Yanto Jones, the character, was mourned almost as if Yanto Jones was a person. And the things that uh, you talk about in this piece are about something called Enchanted Believers, uh, a, a certain kind of fan, and the morning rituals that happen not, about, not just about Yanto Jones, but other fictional characters. Now, the typical, I think my, the typical listener in my audience, and for most uh, Doctor Who podcasts as it is right now, uh, might have a hard time grasping this and probably didn't have a didn't understand what the heck was going on two years ago when uh, the internet exploded. 
How unusual is it for a fan who's involved with a story to mourn a character? Well, you know, at first I just want to say that I'm not coming at this from any sort of psychological perspective. The perspective that I'm looking at is the text and how audiences respond to texts. Um, it's not unusual in the sense that this has happened has happened before. It happens a lot, um, and it has, it's not just a modern phenomena. Um, people certainly did things like this in reaction to various character deaths in Harry Potter. Uh, this happened a great deal um, with Sirius Black. It happened with Severus Snape. There's also a huge number of instances of this happening in the Victorian era. You've probably heard stories about um, Charles Dickens when he killed off Little Nell. There were um, riots for this. Um, there were also a lot of lesser-known novels in that era where when characters died, um, entrepreneurs would actually buy burial plots for them and set up headstones and then sell tickets for people to visit the grave so that they could mourn. Now, you talk about three different kinds of three different categories of fans as sort of believers in um, this sort of thing: um, naive believers, ironic believers, and enchanted believers. And I think it's important to sort of break that down a little bit to help people understand what you're talking about. When a fan is mourning the death of a fictional character, does that fan believe that a real person has died? It really depends. Um, to, to break down those three categories, two of those categories are really commonly used sort of all the time when we talk about fiction, um, and that's the naive believer and the ironic believer. And the example that's most often used is in regards to Sherlock Holmes because of the way that the Arthur Conan Doyle stories are framed – in the time when they were released, there were some people who thought Sherlock Holmes was a real guy and his you know, actions were being reported on. So these were called naive believers. They didn't know any better that Sherlock Holmes wasn't real. And the ironic believers were people who were like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if Sherlock Holmes is real? Let's pretend he is and talk about like, him like he is. And isn't that clever and witty of us? Now, what I, mm-hmm. let, let, let me break in there for a second. I think we see reactions to those two kinds of believers a lot in sort of general fandom. Um, somebody, if, if they see somebody taking the story too seriously, and they assume that that person is either silly enough to believe that the character was real, or that that person is sort of in on the joke, and so-called mainstream fans can handle, they can understand that. But this third category you're getting ready to talk about, Enchanted Believers, that's probably something that's a little harder for them to wrap their brains around, right? Absolutely. And I think it varies from person to person. But the idea is that for some of us, we look at fiction and we go, that's stuff that's made up. And it can make us sad and we can suspend our disbelief while we're watching it. And then when it's over, it's over. We turn off the TV. It didn't really happen to us. And for people that are enchanted believers, of course, they know it's fictional. They know it's not real. They know they can't go to those places or a TARDIS isn't going to show up in their living room. But they're choosing to suspend disbelief all the time and not in this constant, oh, I know I shouldn't feel this way, but to really say, 
I enjoy the emotions of believing this. So instead of reminding myself all the time that I'm being ridiculous, I'm just going to run with that because it is more magical and because this story has a truth in it for me that is more important than the fiction, which isn't to say they forget that a fictional character isn't real, but they're more concerned with the truth of the emotions or the truth of the meaning of that story for them. And you're using the first person all of a sudden. Oh, did I? Yes, you did. Okay. Well, you know, full disclosure, um, for, for many reasons, both for your audience and in academia, most of academia does stuff where we talk about things that happen to other people, and we pretend that we're not involved in that, which is completely ridiculous, because there's no scholar that does anything about pop culture and fan studies who isn't a big, huge fan. People don't write papers about fan fiction if they don't write fan fiction or if they don't love the TV show or the movie or the book that they're talking about. And one of the things that's important to me as a scholar is to sort of start erasing those divides because I think it's incredibly dishonest to pretend as an academic that I'm passing judgment on the behavior of other people who have nothing to do with me. It's completely ludicrous. So in, in, this, in this particular circumstance, you were one of the people who mourned Deonto Jones. Um, to a given extent, um, I, I did not leave flowers anywhere, um, as, as people did. But And I am somebody who's very um, emotional about stories. I'm also trained as an actor. So it's my job to you know, know how to be other people and react to things as if I'm other people and to react to things that aren't true as if they are. So TV and movies and stuff really can make me pretty weepy. But I had never had a reaction like I'd had to this show. I mean, I just couldn't breathe. I was sobbing so hard. I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, I know that I'm really intense about wanting to erase some of these divides between fiction and nonfiction, but why am I feeling this way? And what was amazing to me was when I started talking to other people, and I don't mean the people that were angry on the internet or wanted to change the story, because I was very satisfied with the story as it was. Just other friends of mine who were really involved with it emotionally, Everybody kept saying things to me about, oh my God, it was two weeks later and I had to go into the bathroom at work and cry because I just suddenly remembered how sad it was. Why is this happening? And so I started wondering, why is this happening? What is it about this character? Because Torchwood's good, but it's not that good. Um, And then I started to find patterns. And there are certain types of characters that elicit these responses in audiences. So what is it about Ianto Jones that fits into that pattern? Um, There are a few things. The first thing is that he's not the central character. The characters who get mourned tend to be secondary characters or at least non-viewpoint characters. You know, I mentioned Sherlock Holmes before, and of course Sherlock Holmes is central to Arthur Conan Doyle's stories, but he's not the narrator. That's Watson, of course. Holmes is this observed figure that we don't quite have access to and that we don't quite understand. So there is that sense of somebody who we're told to be fascinated by, but we don't have as much information about as we would like. The other thing that tends to happen is it tends to be a character who's deeply associated with death and the narrative. And in the case of Yanto, you know, he manages Torchwood's morgue. He has this horrible backstory with Lisa. There are all these things um, about him that are more connected with death than some of the other characters. And if you look at other characters that this has happened with... um, And Harry Potter, Um, Severus Snape was really widely mourned by fans when he got killed off. Um, People held wakes. There were events where there were actual coffins present um, at certain Harry Potter fan events. 
And there was another character who constantly gave speeches about being able to stop her death and control death. And some people have done some really great scholarship talking about how he's associated with the Egyptian god Anubis in terms of how the story is structured. So that's another characteristic that comes up a lot. The other thing that happens is these tend to be characters that when they die, there aren't necessarily people present in the story to mourn for them. They tend to be people who are loners, who are estranged from their families, who aren't traditionally partnered. There's this sense um, from audiences that respond to this that they have to step in and do this and, and engage in this mourning because if they don't, no one will. So getting back to some of the comments that you see on uh, Twitter even today in reaction to uh, people still mourning Yanto Jones, Yanto had certain characteristics that made it more likely that he would be mourned than, say, Tosh and Owen. Yeah, I mean, with Owen, Owen has the death thing going on. But the other thing is we weren't sort of constantly told, let's focus on this person. Let's know more about him. We kind of knew everything we needed to know about Owen. He had a backstory with his fiance who died. Um, he died once. We got to watch all his friends say goodbye to him in that whole resurrection plot arc. So everything was basically done. And we knew when he died that people loved him. And it was very clear. And it was really sad. And there were some people that were really sad about Owen. And I can tell you from having visited the uh, Memorial Wall in Cardiff, which is a very, very strange experience, um, <laughs> that there are a few people who have left things up there for Tosh and Owen as well, but it is uh, very Yanto-focused. I can imagine. So you said early on that this is not new. This has been happening in fiction for a long time. There's also the um, aspersion that gets tossed out about uh, the crazed fangirl. Uh, now, now you and I were both at uh, the Galley 21 panel that discussed fan reactions to character deaths, and uh, the, the strong reactions in the room were not gender-specific, I don't think, but could no, you talk I, a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, for that panel in particular, I can think of, of two people who probably had the, the strongest reactions in the room, and, and one was male and one was female. Um, I, I do think that this is a phenomenon that crosses genders. I think it's very sort of dishonest to just be like, ooh, this is just fangirls on Live Journal. Um, historically, when this stuff has happened, um, most of it that's documented, um, you know, not in the modern era, has involved men. And I don't necessarily think that it's like, oh, men did this 100 years ago and women do this now. I think it's honestly the nature of who we view as fans and who's in the public eye as an audience has just changed over time. My suspicion is that 100 years ago, there were both men and women in probably pretty roughly equal numbers that responded strongly to the death of Sherlock Holmes or to Little Nell. And it was just the men who were visible because the men were a greater part of public life. Mm -hmm. And I think now that it is perhaps the women who are more visible in this response because women are a, a different visible part of the public fanish life. Um, certainly, when I started doing this paper, and I've been very open with fandom that I was doing this work, people kept coming up to me and, and telling me things about how they were feeling which was sort of intense and I wasn't really expecting. And those, the people who did that were all over the board in terms of gender, sexual orientation, in terms of expecting to feel this way or not. I mean, I, I had straight guys being like, I watched this and I felt like my lover had died and I have no idea what's wrong with me. 
So I don't think it's fair to place um, this as, oh, those weeping fangirls um, at all. And also when I have visited the, um, the shrine in Cardiff, and I've been there um, twice now, uh, once was to go do the research, and then another time I was just in the UK and, like, in the neighborhood, so, you know, why not? The people that sort of were going to, like, look at it and check it out were a total mix of people. The story of mourning Yanto isn't the story of people misbehaving because of that story. Uh, it's a much broader phenomenon. But you can't talk about it without acknowledging that it happened. And I think that's one of the reasons why the conversation started so, was that some people reacted so strongly about it. There are a lot of value judgments about caring too much, because if you care too much, you must be one of those, uh, one of those crazy mean people over there. Is it wrong to mourn a character? You know, I, I don't think so, obviously. Um, and I worked really hard when I wrote this paper to to try not to put value judgments in it. Because I will say that some of the people who who have engaged in these public acts of mourning, which to me are distinctly different from acts of protest or complaint, um, because that immediately acknowledges, of course, that this is fiction if you're unhappy with the writers or you're unhappy with the producers. So I tried to separate that out. But there's certainly some people who've been engaged both on that sort of bad behavior side of things or not necessarily bad behavior but protest side of things who also engaged on the morning side of things. And I disagree with a lot of those people, but that didn't mean that their views about what a writer should have done impacted the way they also expressed their sadness in certain contexts. So I tried very hard to stay out of that. Um, One of the things that you do hear a lot from people is, oh, well, how dare you feel sad about this when all these terrible things are happening in the real world? And the fact is that we cannot necessarily control how we feel about things. Our grief for things happening in the real world may come out through fiction. We may use fiction to ignore our grief um, in the real world. Um, all sorts of different things make us feel, and it's you know not my department to, to really figure out what that is. What is interesting is a very good friend of mine, um, her mother passed away um, about a day or two, um, possibly the day of day four airing. And I ran into her a few days later and she's like, oh, I have to finish watching Children of Earth, but I haven't because my mom died. And I was like, yeah, you don't want to do that yet. It might, might be a little rough. And um, she did eventually watch it. And what she is, and she's written about this online, and what she's always said is she has, she is the person who probably has the most justification for being angry at people for mourning someone who isn't real because she was mourning her mom at the same time. But people feel things. And she's just like, you know, if I were still this devastated over my mother a year and a half later that I couldn't function, that I couldn't keep it together at work or whatever, I hope my friends would tell me to get help. So if people still feel that way about Yanto a year and a half later, I hope that they get help. But the problem isn't mourning, but how we deal with it. Right, right. Now, your interest in this subject seems to transcend uh, Yanto Jones and Torchwood Children of Earth. Uh, what's next for you? Um, I'm, I'm, I haven't really decided. I did do, um, you know, this paper was about 20 pages. It focused on, on Yanto. It focused on Sherlock Holmes. It focused on Harry Potter. And I also, of course, talked about Joss Whedon because he killed lots of people before RTD started killing lots of people. And I know some people who took Wash going very, very hard. 
I actually um, compare a lot of this to, to Wash because Wash's death was devastating. People were outraged. But Wash also, you know, had a wife and had friends and stuff. So it's the difference between finding something really, really sad and gutting, which that absolutely was, and saying, what gesture can we make for this person? Um, I also think that Yanto got mourned in part because it was easy to do so. There was a physical location where people could leave flowers. It was connected enough to our world that it made him more accessible um, for people to engage in that. But I'm really fascinated by these stories and these experiences that people have of this. And I was also very fascinated by how confessional um, it became. I've, I've written about the process of writing this paper and sort of done my own confessions, but the stories people kept telling me of how, not only how they felt, but how they felt about the fact that they felt that made it seem like this was an area that needed to be explored more, not just because it's kind of interesting and neat, but also because I do... I'm so against shame for fandom and for stories making us feel stuff. If the point isn't for stories to make us feel stuff, I'm not sure what the point is. I mean, I cosplay, I do other stuff, it's fun. Sometimes I, you know, watch Doctor Who just to laugh. But to me, the point of fiction is to make us feel things. And if we feel bad about what stories make us feel, something's not quite right there. So I do want to um, do a broader project on this, um, possibly something book length, looking at more examples, looking at the history of these sorts of experiences, because I do want to both demystify it um, and destigmatize it, really. And that sounds like a very good place to wrap this up. Now, where can people find your writing? And that's a bit of a leading question because not only are you online, but you're in print re- very recently. That is that is very true. Why don't I start with that? Um, speaking of Joss Whedon, there is a new book out um, from the same folks that brought you Chicks Dig Time Lords, and it's called Whedonistas, and it's women's experiences with the work of Joss Whedon. And I actually wound up watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer because of my work on the death of Yonto Jones. So I have an essay in there that's a little bit about that experience. Um, I have a blog online at lettersfromtitan.com. And there is also a link that I believe you're posting with this um, to an organization called the Society of the Friends of the Text. And it's a group of academics who are doing their scholarship from a perspective of personal engagement and admitting to the fact that we deeply love the material that we study. Fantastic. Rosalina, I really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, be on the podcast, and it was a, it's a great essay. Anybody who is really into uh, Torchwood, who uh, remembers the Ianto thing, still feels the Ianto thing, or is completely perplexed by the Ianto thing, uh, I really recommend you check out this piece, and uh, the link is in the show notes. Thanks so much for being on the Two Minute Time Lord podcast. Absolutely. Thank you. And that was episode 198 of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, which resumes normal operations, that is to say, normal length, next time. In the meantime, you can find more episodes at TWOMinuteTimeLord.com or on iTunes. And you can follow me on Twitter at numeral two minute time lord and find me on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash numeral two minute time lord. Thanks a lot for listening. Thank you, Rosaline, and we'll see you next time.